back again, back again, episode three. King. I woke up in a bed rather than the ground I had been expecting as I came back into a strange, half-conscious state. And it wasn't my bed in Georgia, which is what the other half of my subconscious had still been expecting. No fan ticked overhead. No fairy lights shone back at me, quiet incandescence. No, I was... I was still... There, that other place, feeling odd and yet more like myself than I had in my entire life. Magic trilled in my chest, the same strange power I'd felt before passing out in the courtyard with the Enarble. It was real. Whatever had happened. I was... Elhida, chosen by someone, some thing. A girl sat at the end of the bed, bronze-skinned and long-haired, one braid trailing over her shoulder and tied with a ribbon. She traced the lines of embroidery on the blanket with one hand, fingers gently running along the stitches. She hadn't realized I was awake. This girl is important. We become friends, but not right now. There's still miles to go before we're there. I realized with a jolt that the sword I'd pulled from the tree wasn't around me. The loss was sharp and sudden, an ache in my chest that settled into an off-kilter buzz. The girl startled into focus as I pushed myself upright, heart pounding as I scanned the room. It was wrong for the sword not to be with me. Even then, having just woken up, I could feel it, the magic in my blood, and how it called out for what the ancient tree had given me. I... I still find myself reaching for the magic, searching for the glow that used to come so easily to call the will of the earth to my side and to conjure something. I haven't been able to. And it's... I... I don't like it. Being this empty. Where's my sword? I asked her, half feral. She flinched, just slightly, and I only just had time to remember that no one here seemed to know English besides the princes and kings before she responded. Carefully, eyes still set on the embroidery of the blanket. It is outside, she said. Right where you left it when you... fell. I need it, I said hungrily, but she didn't move. I opened my mouth to try and explain the tugging in my chest, but before I could, the strange girl spoke again. We could not touch it. What? We could not touch it, she repeated. 
to bring it inside. It is too much. I was too preoccupied to dissect whatever the hell that implied. Please, I said. I, I need it. I... What's your name? She lifted her head, finally. Her eyes were dark as night flashes long and full around them. Rhea, she responded. Rhea, I, I said. I'm Elias. Please help me. Elias, she repeated carefully. Hello. Please, I echoed, and she nodded, so I clambered from the bed, almost running to the door. Bria caught my hand. N not yet. You cannot leave while you're wearing that. I looked down. The hobbit shirt stared back. I, I don't have any other clothes, I said, finally. She grinned. The little thing she tried to push down, tongue pressed to the backs of her teeth. It's okay, she said. We've been preparing for a long time. It was as we found clothes that I asked her how she knew English, if so few did. And it was as I dressed that she explained it to me. My back to her, her eyes trained on the bedspread's embroidery, fingers skimming the patterns in polite propriety. I am the only person in the castle that does, she explained. Besides the princes and the kings. Ever since the first soldier poet king, there has been one daughter of Rizea that learns, in case the new Elahida is of their time. That's what this place is? I asked. Rizea? Yes, she said, and we lapsed back into silence as I tried to figure out the laces on my new boots. And you know English? At her odd expression, I corrected. My language, in order to teach you our own, she said, and to help you through. I see, I said, and paused, an odd stutter in my chest. Thank you. She smiled, another tiny, perfect smile. I turned around. I'm ready to go. She nodded. You look better. The shirt thing was long-sleeved, the sleeves just slightly puffed, Shakespeare style, an off-white, a ribbon running through at an empire waist to pull in what was an otherwise loose shirt at the back. Golden flowers ran up the sleeves towards my shoulders as if I'd grasped the hands of Midas. Leather boots, mid-calf height, hugged my legs. We joke about stomping boots here, right? Boots that are meant to fight in. These were of the same stuff. Thank you, I said and grinned. Can we find my sword now? She hesitated for just a second, a slight back and forth in place before seeming to make up her mind. Come on, Rhea said, starting for the door. It will still be in the courtyard where, where you dropped it. I followed her out and closed the door behind us. The hallways were tall ceilinged and wide, made of old stone and lamplight. This was the first time the lack of electric light truly hit me. 
The court was glass-ceilinged. It was bright as day there. The room I'd just been in, too, had a large window. There were no windows along here. Three hallways and a staircase melted into a grand foyer, which became the open-aired halls like you see in Harry Potter movies. And then we were outside, and Rhea started to run, so I sprinted after her in my boots and Midas-stained shirt, and I was so focused on her, on not looking like a fool, that I didn't even realize the tree until we were at its base, the canopy pulling us in. It seemed different than before. The leaves, I realized, as one fell past my face, had become veined in coppery gold. I caught it as it went by. Rhea pointed to the sword, strewn across the grass where it had fallen. My blood hummed as I picked it up, somehow expecting the jolt that struck through me as everything once again slid into focus. The sword once more began to glow. This time I had a better chance to inspect it as I raised it up. Engravings decorated the blade, minuscule lines of script and scenes of girls. Three girls repeated over and over along the blade. One singing, carrying a stringed instrument as gold and wind sighed from her mouth. Another with a sword raised, a crooked crown on her brow, and a third hands cast out as magic bloomed from her palms. And they repeated together as well, embracing and riding and fighting back to back against an army of men. Flowers curled around the story scenes, blooms like peonies and lily of the valley cradling the girls on the blade. Rhea's breath caught as she stared at it. What does it say? I asked, tilting the blade back and forth so the engravings caught the light. Rhea peered at the writings, carved along the base of the blade, close to the guard. They will tear your city down, she said carefully, the soldier and poet and king. I know those words by heart. Perit periber civitad de eums rex et poeta et soldat. We, and you, you who bears this sword, will make collapse this city will overthrow what came before you soldier and poet and king. Or, go and tear this city down. Back Again, Back Again is written and produced by me, Abigail Eliza. If you'd like to hear more about the show, visit us on Twitter, Instagram, or Tumblr at BackAgainPodcast, or on TikTok at Abigail Eliza Writes. Our outro music is Nightingales by Pierce Murphy from the album To Japan, and is licensed under an attribution license. The song was retrieved from freemusicarchive.org. Visit the description of this episode for full copyright information and a link to the page. Sound effect attribution, similarly, can be found in the episode description. If you've made it this far, thanks for sticking around. You are important in this world and have a role that no one else can fill. You are loved. I hope you have a wonderful day.